Before we get going, let's, let's pray. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on on your own understanding. Lord, help us to believe your word, to trust you with all our heart and lean on on our own understanding about our futures, maybe sickness, relationships, depression. Help us to trust you with all our hearts and lean on on our own understanding in all of our ways. Help us to acknowledge you. And you say you'll make our path straight. Help us to believe your word. Help us to believe that making our path straight doesn't mean it's going to be a pain-free life without suffering. Help us to know that we can do your will and it can be hard and painful. But help us to know that we're walking in your will even in pain. I do ask that you would be with us as a family of God today as we get into your word. You have put the book of Song of Songs in the Bible for a reason. And we want to believe it has been there to instruct us, to encourage us how to relate to one another, but also to remind us of the love we have in you and through you. So by your spirit, may you speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. I do hope that you enjoyed the Thanksgiving break. Perhaps you stayed here, you went away. My family has a tradition that we stay local, and we stay actually in a local hotel so our kids can swim in the pool, and that's the way we roll. And that was our our tradition, and that's what it's been. And perhaps you have your own traditions. But I do know that many of you, over the holidays, it is a hard and difficult and even painful time as memories come up from the past. I have my own memories Back in 1985, we had just celebrated Christmas, my brother and I, with my parents. A few days after Christmas, my parents called me and my brother uh, into their room one at a time, and it was my turn to go in. I, I went in there, and my mom said, I'm going to go away to school. And I thought that was quite odd. I thought, what do you mean you're going to go away to school? And then she cracked, and she started bawling and crying, and she said to my dad, I cannot lie to him. And then she said to me, and I still remember, at 14, she said, I am leaving your father. And then the few minutes and moments after that was a mad, mad rush, because what she wanted to do, she wanted to load her car with as much stuff she could take, and my dad would not help her. And so I'm a little torn at 14 because my dad's saying, don't help her. My mom's saying, help me load my car. So I'm helping her load her car. And the last image I have of my parents being married at our house is my mom loading the car, grabbing the cat, sticking it in her car, pouring out the cat litter by the curb, and driving off. That's my Christmas memory that comes up time and time again.
and I have a feeling that you may have your own Christmas memories that you may be having trouble to process. And I remember before I was going to get married, I thought to myself, I, I'm scared to death. I'm hesitant. I'm freaking out because surely I'm going to get divorced just like my parents. And maybe you have stories of pain in your parents' relationship. Uh, maybe you have been through a difficult relationship, or maybe even some of you have been through a divorce. And what can happen over the holidays? The holidays can stir up the junk again. Some of you do not even want to go home for Christmas. Some of you won't go home for Christmas because it's too much drama and too much pain. So I think what we should do is add a little bit of hope that there can be, believe it or not, permanence in marriage. I know most of you are, are single, but hey, I know you may be fearful, but there can still be permanence in marriage. For those of you who are uh, remarried, there can still be, in your own marriage, permanence in marriage. And for those of you who are feeling a little shaky in your current marriage, there can be permanence in marriage. And the reason why is because, you know, we believe in a God who works miracles, who does great things in our hearts and our lives, and by his grace, you can grow old together and stay together. And it's this hope I want to explore today as we turn back to our Bibles. Let's do it. Let's turn back to Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, one last time. This is our last Sunday in this great poetic book. And in this poetic book, we have seen the couple court one another, get married, have a honeymoon, work through conflict, and now it seems that they are growing old together but they are still committed, committed to one another. And as we go to this book, we always want to lock in and look at the bigger picture and keep our eyes on Christ and his permanent commitment to us as his bride. And I'll put the statement up that I've read several times and put it up again. Song of Songs shows us a romance that celebrates God's gift of love, pleasure, and fidelity while simultaneously pointing forward to the perfection of love and someone greater than Solomon, Jesus Christ. And though the relationship between the man and the woman is primarily uh, spoken of in this song, there is a greater love that we have in Christ. And what we're trying to do is we want to consider the permanent commitment of marriage in the context of Christ's permanent commitment to us. And then we want that to play out in our relationships, including marriage. I'm going to go out of character a little bit today and give you a structure that you may be helpful to follow. It's going to, most of the, it's going to start with a letter P. As I read a lot of commentaries and scholars, for some reason, a lot of them tried to pick, and they seem to pick the letter P to describe what's going on here. And so I'm going to give these P descriptors of love as we go through this. And it's almost as if in each descriptor of love between the man and the woman, we could make the connection between God and his people. So let's do this. All right, you ready? Love is passionate. Let's go back to chapter 7. That's where we left off last time. The man was expressing his sexual desire for this woman, and we start out today by seeing her response in verse 11. Chapter 7, verse 11. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. 
Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. Well, we see here that the woman is is willing and ready for the, the sexual love of her husband. She doesn't shut his advances down, but welcomes him. The poetic imagery here is them going to the countryside where they can enjoy one another. Do you see that? The, the language of checking on the budding vines, great blossoms opening, and pomegranates in bloom is all signifying, as it says, that she is ready to give you my love. This is not honeymoon intimacy, but this is sexual intimacy later in marriage. And we see that in verse 13. The mandrakes give forth fragrance. Beside our doors are all choice fruits, new, there it is, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O my beloved. This is just not a a honeymoon life. This is not the routine or bland sex life. No, the imagery here is of mandrakes giving forth fragrance and choice fruits. And notice, new as well as old. And this indicates that they are still growing in their love and even their sexual love for one another. It's not a, hey, let's hurry up and get this over with. But this is new pleasures as well as old. And as you grow and you age together, you want to grow in your friendship and marriage as well as your intimacy. Love can still be passionate as you age. Now, for those of you who are are younger, and I've heard it expressed before, won't it be boring being married to the same person the rest of your life? That just sounds so boring. Now, if you want to just talk about surface things, it, it may sound boring, but, you know, I want to tell you this. At a deeper level, no. When you marry someone and you age together, there can be this depth of love that grows because, because if a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, are growing in their relationship with the Lord and, and want to have their own personal growth infiltrate their marriage, there can be this growth and this depth of love. There could be this excitement in marriage, this adventure as you serve one another and you grow in your Lord, a relationship with the Lord and grow in your relationship with one another. So don't think you get married, you're in chains for the rest of your life. It's not like that. It's not the way it's depicted in the word. There can be continued growth and passion. Well, the second thing we see from the text is love is public. Love is public. Chapter 8, verse 1. Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breast. If I found you outside, I would kiss you, and none would despise me. Ooh, (laughs) right? (laughs) That seems a little weird thinking about kissing your brother. What is that all about? Um, Well, during this time, her and her brother in public could show affection, family affection that her and her husband in social settings could not show. Now, each culture is different, but you want to publicly acknowledge that you are married to one another. When you get married, you want to publicly acknowledge that you are married. I mean, it doesn't mean that you're making out in public. doesn't mean that you're giving each other back rubs in church. Stop that. Does it mean that? 
It just means that your affection for one another is, is public. People know. It should be obvious that you're married to that person. Just like as a believer, you want it to be obvious that you uh, have a relationship with the Lord. So you want it to be obvious that you, you love the person you're married to. One of the most distressing images is when you have a couple who are married and they're outspoken about Jesus, but they dog one another. You know, you've ever seen that before? They say they're followers of Christ and you know that they are and yet they treat their spouse so bad. As you're public with your relationship with the Lord, so be public in your love for your spouse. So not only is love passionate and love is public, but love is also private. Look at verse 2. Chapter 8, verse 2. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother. She who used to teach me, I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. Now, she can bring him home to mom, and all is acceptable, even their sexual union, because it's depicted by spiced wine to drink and the juice of my pomegranate. And though their love is private, notice what it says there, the phrase, she who used to teach me. And the idea in this context is, is probably means that the mom taught the daughter about sex. And I know this makes some of you uncomfortable, but you are the primary teachers, parents, of your children about sex. And it can be embarrassing. I was trying to talk to my six-year-old a couple days ago, and he was, he was over his head. He was not paying attention. It was funny. Um, my oldest son, when he was younger, I remember talking to him about this, and he freaked out. He thought it was weird. He thought it was gross. And he said, did you and mom once do that? <laughs> At least once. Yes. And it can be uncomfortable. But you want to teach your kids because if you don't, the world will. Once again, I'm going to put these resources up there that we have used. And you wonder how early should you start talking to your children. I would encourage you to start talking to them around age three with appropriate conversation. Here's some of the books that are helpful. There's a, a book series called God's Design for Sex. God's Design for Sex series, ages 3 to 5, ages 5 to 8, 8 to 11, 11 through 14. These are age-appropriate conversations. Even with your children, as they start to branch uh, out between 10 and, and 18, there's a book called Every Young Man's Battle, and there's a, a book called Every Young Woman's Battle. You want to teach them because I guarantee you the world will. All right, go back to verse 3. We're still in this love is private conversation. We've not moved on. Verse 3. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases as she continues to describe their intimacy and his embraces of her, she tells the young woman to stay pure, and this is the phrase, we've seen it again, that they do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. We've seen it over and over and over again that, that 
sex must come at the right time in marriage. And we've seen this refrain as if she is speaking to the young women and saying, stay pure, wait to stir up love. Remember we talked about this tightrope that you have to walk if you're a single person. Where as a single person, I'm going to tell you this, it's okay if you have desires for sex. But be careful on this tightrope of desire because you do not want to fall off on one side of lust or sexual morality and you don't want to fall off on the other side of condemning yourself and shaming yourself for having these desires. These are good God-given desires but the desires must come and be expressed in marriage. Just like fire is good in the fireplace, but not consuming the house. It is meant for marriage. And so she's speaking to the girls. And then she says in verse 5, watch me awaken love at the right time. Now she's married. She can awaken these desires. Look at verse 5. Who is that coming up from the wilderness? Leaning on her beloved, under the apple tree, I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. So the idea is here is that she is stirred up or awakened to love and to sexual intimacy and all this talk of the apple tree and all this talk about her, about his mother in labor and giving birth to him. It's just, it's just showing you that there is this hope that their sexual union will lead to children, to babies. It's, a, it's like a sequence. It's almost like, it's almost like a, a Solomon and his wife sitting under the apple tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby in the baby carriage. That's what's going on here. It's this sequence of love expressed in marriage. But love is also permanent. Verse 6 Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. The idea of a seal would be uh, to indicate ownership or permanence of an item. And, and she wants the guy to not only indicate his claim on her outwardly, like on his arm, but I like that, but also in his heart. So here's the ring on the finger, right? The ring on your finger can indicate your permanent commitment to your spouse. All right, we know that. But what is going on in your heart? What is going on in your heart? Is it the same true permanent commitment that you have on your finger going on in your heart? Or does your spouse kind of wonder if you are veering off, even mentally, fantasy, to someone else? Is this a permanent commitment both outwardly and inwardly? Set me as a seal upon your heart. That's good. Keep going in verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. There's the inward, outward. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Oh, that's great. How is love strong as death? Well, the idea again is permanence. Just as you die and the grave is permanent, except for Christ... 
So love is permanent. Love is like a strong force. It says it's like jealousy is fierce as the grave. Love is compared to good jealousy. It's not the kind of jealousy where you're thinking, I'm so scared of what you're going to do to me and how you might hurt me. It's not that kind of jealousy, but it's like I am, I am jealous for your exclusive love. This is the way God is, is jealous for us in Christ. He, he wants our exclusive love. And actually the Lord is mentioned in this verse. Did you see it there? It says the, the Lord is like flashes of fire. The very flame of the Lord this permanent love is, is not calm, and it's not cool, and, and it's not chilled love, but it's a fiery, passionate love. And even though this, this love, strong commitment to one another in marriage, it, it can still be fiery and filled with passion, just like our relationship is with the Lord. And what we want to do, and we've been talking about it over and over again this fall, is we want to, we want to stir up and strengthen your commitment in marriage. We have a lot of things going on to help you before you get married. But, but for those of you in marriage, we have uh, the men's groups and the women's groups. So the women's groups is the FBOW, where the wives get together and encourage one another. And, and the men's groups is 525, where they get together and stir one up. We want to keep those going. And if you're, if you're married and you're not in one of those, I would encourage you, go, go check it out, where you have these other people that can stir up and strengthen these commitments that you have in marriage. Well, the next descriptor of love is love is priceless. Verse 7. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all, see that, all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. You can't buy love. It is offensive to think that love can be bought. But it looks like that the woman's brothers tried to sell love. We're going to do a little flashback here. The flashback starts in verse 9. This is the brothers talking about this woman. Look, it's a flashback. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. Now, remember her brothers back in chapter 1. They made her work hard in the fields. Remember her son was burnt. And these guys are still punks. Because in this flashback, they're hoping to cash in with a good bride price on their sister. But they're concerned here because she's still young. She's not fully developed. Yet they are still hoping they can draw enough interest to her over time so they can get money. That's not how love works. Love can't be bought. And she found love without their help and her greedy brothers. Look what she says in verse 10. I was a wall and my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace, which means now she's fully developed and embraced by the one she loves and is at peace. Verse 11. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. 
You, O Solomon, may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit two hundred. And I want to make sure you understand what's going on here. She's comparing herself to Solomon's vineyard. And as she has given him full access to herself, which she describes as a vineyard. But unlike the pricey vineyard of Solomon, her love can't be bought but she freely gives it away. No money is changing hands here. No money is involved because love is priceless and can't be bought. I'm going to try to press this upon you in, in maybe a little humorous way here. Um, for those of you who are married, if someone came up to you and, and said, I'll give you $50,000 if you, you know, give up your spouse. And you would say, no way. Love can't be bought. That's, that's ridiculous. And someone says, you know, I'll give you $50 million to give up your spouse. And you say, will that be taxed? <laughs> right? There's no way, right? You're not going to have that conversation. You know, love, love's priceless. It can't be bought. And though it can't be bought, when you're dating, these thoughts kind of go through your head. Maybe you're dating someone right now, and, and, and you like them, maybe you love them, but they're, they're, they're not going to make a lot of money. And, and you know that. Does that bother you? Do you keep going? Or do you bail? Or what about those of you who are dating and... <laughs> You've got to introduce this person you're dating to your parents. And they ask this person you're dating, what are you going to do with your Northwestern degree? You're like, I'm going to raise support and be a missionary. Right? That doesn't always go over so well. Do you get rid of this person? Right? So even for those of you who are, are dating, this concept that love is priceless. It can't be bought. And it's that imagery that, that mirrors the relationship we have with, with God through Christ. We can't earn our way to heaven. We cannot buy our way to heaven. It's given freely. His love is poured out on the cross, given to you freely that we receive by faith. And we have this imagery in marriage, this free gift of love. It's priceless. Well, the last one. Here we go. We're finishing the book. Love is persevering. Verse 13. O you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. This woman here has, has such great characters uh, that others want to listen to her. Did you see it in verse 13? It says they are listening for her voice as she gives wisdom and discretion to others. She's probably instructing the the young women in her life on the ways that they can they can express love. And it's, it's very interesting. If you're an older woman, I mean, do younger women want to learn from you? Or they look at your life and you say, uh, they say, I don't want to have any of that. Or they're looking to be instructed what it means to be in a relationship. And so while she's instructing these women, he's like, hey, I want to hear your voice too. And he doesn't, and she doesn't turn him down, but encourages him, okay, make haste like a gazelle or a young stag and come back, come back to her as the mountains of spices. 
Many scholars believe that what's happening here is that they are, they are aging together. They are aging and growing old together, and they still have love for one another. It's a persevering love as they continue on and on through the seasons of their life. And there may come times at different times in your marriage where you feel like, eh, I want to bail, I want out of this. Keep in mind the love expressed here and the love expressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This concept of love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's the kind of love that God has locked in on you in his gospel. His love can forgive your sins, and he can forgive you over and over again. He can forgive your failings. And it's the kind of love that you want to express to other people to flow out of you even to your spouse. It's that enduring, persevering kind of love. And it's really cool to see this woman. Remember she started the, the, the song out? She was insecure. She had some doubts. But as she experienced the love of this man for her, it kind of changed her, right? That, that's us in the gospel with Jesus. He has changed us. And as we are changed by his, his sacrifice, his burial, his resurrection, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, we want that to spill out of us to others and even to those uh, who, who we're married to. That's what we want to see happen over and over again. And for those of you who are having a difficult time right now, we'd love to pray for you. This is the, the spot we want to do this in church. You know, in a little bit, we're going to do communion and we'll do prayer and healing, but the elders want to pray for you. And I know maybe some of you have been avoiding dealing with your issues in marriage and maybe you're still going to keep avoiding them, but we want to walk with you. We want to pray with you, pray for you, because we really believe that the love that we have in Christ can spill out in, in many ways in marriage and passion. It can be in public, it can be in private, it can be permanent, it can be priceless, and it can be persevering. I, I think about uh, this animated movie that many of you have seen. Uh, it's a movie Up. Perhaps you like it. Um, there's this emotional scene, some of my best ones, uh, of the old man, right? Remember him? He's reflecting back on his life with the bride of his youth. And in this reflection scene, it shows their wedding, uh, their honeymoon. Remember they, they buy a house. It's a junker. <laughs> They're remodeling it together. They go on picnics and birthdays, and they have the desires for great adventures. But there's also hardships. There's struggles with fertility. There's depression. There's injuries. Unfulfilled dreams and eventually they get old and then there's sickness and then there's death and somebody may say well you know it's just a movie you know the permanence of marriage they, they started out and they finished together but that's just fantasy that's just the way movies go but whether you're, you're, you're single or maybe you're remarried or you're struggling in your marriage there should be hope that by God's grace, there can be hope of permanence as we walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Father, first I want to pray for the, the singles in here who who really are having a hard time in their life, uh, maybe looking at their, their their home that they come from with their parents. Maybe their parents are divorced or maybe they're, they're having a hard time and it makes them fearful of their own lives and what that means for their future. Just let them know that... Um, this concept of generational curses is, is not something that they need to accept as the word of God. That they do not have to repeat the same patterns thanks to the Lord Jesus and his work. But also let them know that there may be some stuff that they need to deal with in their own lives as a single person as they maybe one day head toward marriage and their walk with you and where they need to grow now. They need to deal with some purity issues now. They need to deal with their character now. They need to deal with their sharp tongue now. And let them know there's hope. There can be hope of a relationship, not perfect, not sinless. There can be hope And I pray for the married people in here, those who are struggling in their marriage, those who don't even want to talk about stuff, those who don't even want to hear about Song of Songs because they don't want to deal with stuff that's going inside of them. And I pray for, maybe it's a man or maybe it's a woman who's thinking, I want to quit. I want to give up. Lord, just reassure them that you have not left them, you have not forsaken them. And may they be able to trust in you with all their heart. And if they're leaning on their own understanding, just say, no, no, it, just acknowledge you in all their ways and you make their path straight. You hold them. Regardless of the outcome, you hold them. And Lord, it's during this time of communion, remind us of the forgiveness in the cross. During this time of prayer, May, may you bring different people before you in prayer, whether they're single or married and whatever's going on in life, may you do a work in them. And we just ask for hope, hope that we find in Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.